Well, welcome again, everyone here. Uh, welcome again also, everyone online, watching us as well at home. Uh, uh, last April, uh, last April, uh, I wanted to, I went out to the east side of the Santa Rita's. I don't know, many of you have probably been on the west side of the Santa Rita's. That's where Madeira Canyon is, right? And it's got the nice, you know, easy parking lot that's all paved. You drive right up to it. You have to pay, it used to be four bucks. I think they raised it to like eight bucks now. Um, and you can go all the way. You can go up the trails there. They're very busy trails. They're very well-worn. You have to kind of joggle on rocks all the time because there's so many people walking. Well, I did some Googling and discovered there's a whole other world of trails on the other side of the mountains, but you can't get to them unless you have a 4 by 4 Well, last March, uh, I, I, I got my... Uh, I, I actually went and got a 4 by 4 I got rid of those that old mercury... Um, so I can no longer stand in righteous judgment of everybody who has nice cars. Uh, I indulged my midlife crisis, and, and I didn't need a Corvette. I just went and got a forerunner. Um, but it got me to the east side of the Santritas. It wasn't the only reason I got it, but part of it. So I went out there. I got there. Um, got to a canyon. And it got to a trail in, in, in April. It's called the Gardner Canyon Trail. And... Uh, uh, it's actually, it's actually really beautiful back there. Of course, very quiet. If you're on, uh, you go up the Madeira Canyon side, it's like rush hour going up and down the hill. You're dodging people. On the other side, if you see two or three people the whole day, you're lucky. Uh, and usually it's just hunters who stay closer to the, the bottom who aren't looking at going up. And so I, I went there by myself. I took an extra day. And I didn't know how far I'd get uh, from the parking lot to the top of Mount Wright's in a six point, I think I calculated like 6.4 miles each way. Um, and uh, once you get from the parking lot to the trail start, from the trail it goes, it's 5.2 miles of straight switchbacks all the way up. And it never stops. There's no reprieve. There's no down. You're just going up, 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 up. And I wasn't in the shape I used to be before COVID. You know, I hadn't hit the gym as much. So I just said to myself, you know, I'll get as far as I get, right? You know how you do that? You say, I'll just get as far as I can get. Uh, so I got a little bit more, and then I'd get really winded, and I'd look around, and the view was really good, and I'm like, what if I just do a couple more? And then I did a couple more switchbacks, and, and, I, and after a while, of course, you just keep doing another and another and another, and next thing you know, I'm like, well, I can make it to the Baldy Saddle, which is kind of the big junction with the trails on the other side. It's about 9,000 feet. And, uh, all right, I can make it to the Baldy Saddle. So I got all the way up there, and I got there, and I saw the big metal sign, and I took a selfie with it, because the trail doesn't count unless you have a selfie to prove that you did it. And uh, so I was Facebook official, and I actually was getting good reception up there. It's really weird. Um, yeah, the Santa Ritas have really good reception on the top. So I took the picture, and I'm kind of catching my breath, and I can see the top. It's about, what, 0.9 away? And I thought, you know, maybe this would be pretty good. I'm pretty tired. And this one elderly couple comes up. But they, they got their, you know, the sticks, right? You got your cross-country ski poles. And they got their poles, and they come up. And the woman looks at me and goes, oh, are you going to the top? And I said, oh, I don't know. I've, I've made it this far before, but the last time, the last time, last time was 2009, and I was in better shape, and, I don't know. And she just looks at me and goes, 
well, I'm 78 and I just made it to the top. Certainly a young man like you can do it. And I just kind of rolled my eyes. And then her husband over there went, you know, it's just one foot in front of the other. I'm Swedish. So when I get shamed, I internalize it deeply. I don't know why I cared so deeply what this couple thought of me. But there was no way I could turn around at that point and go down. And so I'm like, all right, all right. And so I did it. I kept lugging up. And of course, some, you know, like two, you know, 20-somethings came running up with their one little water bottle. Right past me. And I'm every switchback. But I made it. 9,456 feet. I didn't think I'd make it. I get to the top. And there's this couple up there. Oh, hi, I said. And the guy's like, yeah, it's my 60th birthday. I wanted to come up again. And I'm like, dude, I want to be like you. But what I realized, uh, what I realized in all of it uh, was kind of that uh, lesson, or, uh, that, that lesson that, you know, I take away that I'm not always the best at being my own best uh, just by myself. I'm not my best self by myself, if that makes sense. That what, what, I, what I'm saying is that oftentimes for me to be the, be what to use the old army phrase, be all I can be, I need someone to push me a little bit. I, I needed that woman to push me because by myself I might not have done it. And how many times in life is that true where we, 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 we just, if left to our own devices and no one pushed in any way, we, we wouldn't do it. You know, it's a lot easier to get to the gym if there's somebody asking you, are you going to the gym today, right? I become a better, I, I become a better self if, I'm, if somebody else is challenging me. I become a better hiker. I become a better father. I become a better pastor. Whatever it is you do, if you only listen to yourself, you're not going to go as far. And I don't think it's just motivation. I don't think it's just a motivation issue, although I think that's a huge issue. I think we all understand that our willpower is not as strong as we wish it would be, right? Every Halloween, I am confronted with that gigantic bag of chocolate, right? To use a fairly benign example. Yeah, and me thinking I can resist it all, and usually uh, that I do, not, I, I do not succeed, I fail. Um, but it's not just motivation. I think we can have blind spots in ourselves, too, sometimes. We can have prejudices that we don't always see in ourselves or we're all aware of, but someone else can see in us. And we're more likely to see them when someone points it out to us. You see, I think, I think most of us, if we were to paint a picture of ourselves, and I don't mean like literally oil paint a picture of ourselves, I don't think that would come out very well for myself. I'll speak for myself. But just imagine a mental picture of yourself, right? If you were to paint that image or or look in the imaginary mirror and what do you see? I think most of us would paint a picture of ourselves that's pretty nice, right? I think most of us think of our pretty good of ourselves. If you, if you did, and I said, draw a picture of yourself, and it came back really ugly, I would say, okay, now we've got some issues we've got to work on here, right? Have you been bullied? Have you been traumatized? Is there something deeper? Maybe you need to see a therapist, right? Um, but outside of that, 
I think most of us like to think of ourselves as pretty good people who generally do pretty good things most of the time. Uh, and I don't think we're very good naturally at being really self-critical. Uh, I, I think we, we, and here's my reasoning, and follow me if you can. I don't think we're good at seeing the blind spots in our minds because we have to use our minds with the blind spots to see the blind spots in our minds. It's a little bit like trying to get a clear picture with a foggy mirror. As long as you're using that mirror, as long as you're using that foggy lens, you will always get a foggy picture. You need something from the outside, right? And, and I don't think our mind wants to see our flaws and our mistakes. Uh, you know, you can be self-reflective. I always encourage us to do that, and I think we can all be better at that, and that but I think there's also a limit to that. At some point, we need to have others who point out the truth to ourselves that we don't like to see, and that truth is not always a comfortable truth, because it could be that I've done something that's really terrible, or that I have some bias in myself that's really not great. And I'm blocking it out of my mind, and it takes someone else to point it out. To be our best selves, we have to be pushed into it sometimes. Look at Hebrews 10. We'll start at verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The, uh, a few weeks ago, I was up in Chandler for a volleyball tournament. Not for me. I'm not the one playing volleyball. It had big chunks of dead time, and I didn't have anything to read, so I jumped in the car and went over to the Chandler whatever mall, they call it. They had a Barnes & Noble. I thought I'll go buy a book. So I go into the religion section, and I'm, I'm, you know, the kind of books I look for in the religion section, I'm like, yeah, I'll get a good right old Niebuhr or something like that, right? And I get into the section, and, and I'm looking at it, and first of all, the section is titled Christian slash self-help. And everything is not bad, but it's, it's very, you know, it, it's, it's be your best self, be yourself, and it kind of, it's lots of stuff that blurs the line you know, bet between uh, uh, faith and self-help. And it was a big old section. And, um, and, and I looked around and I, I, and I realized something as I was looking at this. First of all, that, uh, you know, Barnes & Noble, I obviously can't make a business plan catering to, uh, you know, nerdy theologians. That's not a great, you're not going to stock your shelves in Chandler with that kind of stuff. Um, but it also made me realize that there is a lot of people in our culture giving other people in our culture advice on how to be better at being themselves. And, and I thought to myself, why is that? Why, 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 why is that? And it clicked with me that we, in general, have become so completely disconnected from what I would consider community. Real community, deep community, authentic community. That in our culture, we associate voluntarily, right? In many cultures, you're in a family, this is your family, this is who you relate with, this is the people in your small town. I think in small towns, it's a little easier to understand, right? You associate with Jim at the hardware store, whether you like him or not, because you need to get your window fixed. 
right? And you're not going to drive over to Mega City to get it. So everybody lives with everyone, and they kind of learn everybody's flaws. It's what you do. But I, I think for a lot of our culture, we associate with everyone pretty much voluntarily, you know? And, 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 it, and we, 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 we are make friends voluntarily. We, we are in these sort of communities where you can join and quit at the same time, and there's not much commitment to it. And, uh, and if you don't like it, you cut and run. And we, we've started to even use the word community so loosely, right, that you'll have phrases like, um, well, I get it myself. I'm going to the buddy walk today, the Down syndrome community. I know some people who have kids with Down syndrome, but it's not like I meet with them every week. You know, I was on the board. I helped organize fundraisers, but I wasn't there every week. You know, I didn't. Most of the time, if somebody went through a problem, I wouldn't know who they are. But we, we take that even farther. At least that was in person. You can have an internet community. You know, you can have a thread, you know, Reddit thread of ultimate Smash Bro fans. And, uh, uh, you know, and you share thoughts back and forth. And I think that's legitimate. Um, it's not, there's nothing wrong with it. But you call it a community. If someone, if one of your Smash Bros bros was sick, would you know? Would they be there for you at the hospital bed? If your house burned down, would your smash bro bro be there for you to help you rebuild and give you a couch? I mean, they could give you encouragement, typing it in. But is that really community? Or have we made the definition so loose? See, we live in a culture where if you spend a lot of time, you'll hear a lot of people say things about how institutions and organizations are oppressive and corrupt and hypocritical and they, they take away your freedom and they're all about control and don't participate in things, you know? Do it by yourself. And when, it do, and when doing it by yourself doesn't seem to be working or you get that little feeling in your gut that something's not right, that I'm not being, that I'm not being at my best self, that, that my relationships are falling apart, that something's going wrong, what do I do? I don't have that community around me because I didn't want them there because it was oppressive. I want to join and not join and keep everything loose and, and everybody at just a careful distance. Well, now I need somebody there and everybody's still at a distance. So what do I do? I go to the mall in Chandler and I buy a book. And the book's going to tell me how to fix my relationship. And the book's going to tell me how to find self-esteem. And the book's going to tell me how to paint that better picture. Now, the person writing the book, mind you, is not your neighbor who's going to rebuild your fence. It's somebody making a buck. And I don't question that they're legitimate and that they really want people to be happy. I, I don't think that, they're, that it's that cynical, that it's like, wah, ha, 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 I'm selling you lies. I think they really do think they, they, want, they want to help. I think it's legitimate. So we go to a bookstore and we buy a book or we get it online, right? But if you read the Bible, if you're reading Hebrews, you'll hear of a different way. And it's three things that the writer is telling this church to keep in mind and not forget. One, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Two, don't neglect to meet together, and three, encourage one another. That's how it comes in the passage. If I were to change it around and put it in the order, I think, in which the chronological order, logical order, which I think they need to go, 
I would say should look something like meet together, encourage one another, and then provoke to love and good deeds. So what you do is you come together first and you make a community and you do that regularly because we all know that the strongest bonds are formed with regular connection and regular interaction. And yes, that's a time commitment. And yes, sometimes it's going to be more exciting than others because being in communities means you're not always there for me. Because when my friend is sad and hurting and I'm sitting by her bed all night while she's crying, how does that give me satisfaction and benefit? It doesn't. And, but, but that's what you do in community. And I would hope it would be more than just like a transactional banking thing, like, well, I'll be there for her, but you know, when my dog dies, she'll be there for me. If, it, it shouldn't be transactional. It may be that you live a happy life the whole time and nothing bad ever happens. And you don't need someone there, but you're there for them, right? But if every interaction is a calculation on how I can get a benefit, a pleasurable benefit for myself, then community has no value because all it does is take time away from me. If I'm sitting with my friend, I could be watching Bachelorette and climbing the mountain. And I can do both at the same time because there's good signal on top of the Santa Ritas. <laughs> Literally, I've had my phone light up with Facebook messages while I'm on Baldy set. I'm like, oh, can I talk to you later? But... This is what we need to do, be in community. It's how Christianity is set up. We're not set up as a purely individual religion. We are set up to be in community. And I think even going back to the time of the writing of the letter, they deliberately said, don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. Clearly some were not meeting together. We're not the first generation to have this issue. I have a feeling that whoever that letter was written to, when the people read it, they knew who the some were. Judy. Oh, wait, she's not here because she's neglecting to meet. So, meet together first. Don't neglect that. Then what do you do? You encourage. You encourage. I think we tend to be real short on encouragement in our lives. And I mean real encouragement. The kind where the people really want us to do well and actually want to see us succeed. And we'll be actually happy if we are. I mean, we get a lot of Encouraging platitudes on Facebook, you know, be your best, whatever, you know. But really, all a meme on Facebook is, is just zeros and ones. That's all it is. It's just a code. It doesn't really carry any weight because that person posting it may or may not know me, but they're posting it to everybody. They really care about whether their old high school hockey friends are inspired? Come on. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, hockey players I knew were not big on inspiring platitudes. But anyways, a real person who knows me can encourage me. And when I'm encouraged, it builds me up. And that builds up trust. And when we have trust, we can listen to someone who has to tell us what we don't want to hear. And that's when we can be provoked to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10.24, consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Now, notice one thing here. It says, it doesn't say just go out and provoke. It says, think about it first. That's important. Consider. Think about how you might do it. How might the other person hear it? How should I word it? So that it gets heard and doesn't just cause a defensive reaction. How can this be done so that the outcome of me provoking is 
love and good deeds, not retaliation, not hurt feelings. If I'm provoking for any other reason, then I'm not doing it biblically. It means I do have to do some evaluation of myself first and take a deep breath and look at my own motives and go, okay, if I'm going to provoke, why am I going to do this? You know, am I doing this in a spirit of love because I genuinely want this person to do better, or am I just mad as heck and I want to unload? If you're doing that, that's not what we're talking about here. You know, if I'm trying to shame or humiliate or get back, then, the, then, a, then I'm not provoking to love and good deeds. So, so look at yourself, and if you really truly believe that it needs to be done and you can do it in a way that will get the result, then you should provoke. But always consider. That's what it says, consider. But we have to be capable of provoking too. Because at some point, we are all capable of doing bad, even just forgetfully bad. Right? You forgot to call someone. You forgot to stop by. You forgot to recognize something. You know? That's why I have, I got ADD mind. Why do you think every day I have to have a big script for my announcements? I found that when I didn't have it, there was lots of provoking of me to remembrances and good deeds. So we figure out ways, right? But often we go on a track until someone pushes us. And um, so I imagine that the church they're writing to in the book of Hebrews was a lot like pretty much every other church that's ever existed in humanity which is full of nice people. Um, you know, I don't think most of us generally like conflict. We don't like fighting. We don't like confrontation. We don't like bearing bad news or receiving it. You know, I don't blame anyone for that. You know, I still get like, I still get like, you know, when I have to like fire someone or reprimand someone, I still can feel my heart going boom, 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 boom. And my mind going, okay, where's the outdoor? Do I have to do it today? Could I put it off? You know. But if all you ever do is, is act nice, then we're not pushing each other to love and good deeds. Because when you push, of course, when you push, you put a relationship in tension, right? You put a tension on that. And, and you run a risk. You do run a risk that no matter how well you consider and word it and think it and and, and, and wordsmith it, that you could get a backlash. The other person might not hear it, or they might get more angry, or they might yell back, or they might cut you off as a friend, or leave, you don't know. Or they might bring up something you've done. Oh, you're going to talk to me about that. Well, why don't we talk about what you did at Country Thunder in 2015? And I'd be like, man, I don't remember Country Thunder 2015. And they'd go, that's the problem, isn't it? It might come back to hurt you, but you can't be afraid of that. You can't be afraid of that. You have to own it. You're like, yeah, okay. You're right. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying this because I'm perfect. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to provoke, to love and good deeds. We don't like provoking. Generally, it stirs the pot. It doesn't feel nice, but sometimes it is nice. It's good. And honestly, don't you want to be in a community where people are willing in the lovingest way possible to give suggestions and help on how to be better and to be in a community where everybody dances around everything, you know? What would be more Jesus-like? To be in a community where we push ourselves and say, you know, 
you could be more opening and you could be more loving of that person. I want the second, even if sometimes it hurts. Just always remembering that the point of it all is not provoking for its own sake, but it's provoking to get that outcome that we are more loving and do more good deeds. And Jesus provoked people all the time, and it got him in trouble, but he changed the world, and he did it. And he didn't do it out of hate or anger. Sometimes he did it out of anger. But he loved even the people that he was angry at. And the teaching still stands. And I'm thankful for the times, in hindsight, of course, it's never fun when it happens, but I'm thankful in hindsight for the times when people provoked me to love and good deeds because they've made me a better person than I could have been by myself, and they have pushed me to be more Jesus-like in times when I wasn't. Meet, encourage, and provoke. That is what the scripture says. Amen.